0: What's up golfers? Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols. I just want to start out by saying thank you so much to those who have joined The Mental Golf Show Facebook group. There's already been some great discussion over there. I've met people that I've never met before. That's crazy. Uh, So I I just think that discussion is what this is all about. Yes, there's a lot of benefit to the one-way communication of this podcast, me talking, me talking with other people, and, and that going into your ears. But my favorite thing about personally working with players is the communication back and forth. So that's what I like about the Facebook group, is there can be communication back and forth between myself and you, the listener. And it's been awesome so far. So I'll drop a link in the show notes. Or you can just search Facebook for The Mental Golf Show. uh, And the group should come up, I guess. I don't really understand Facebook. But I do know how I personally navigate to the Facebook group. Um, So yeah, search Facebook for it. You should be able to find it. If you want it bad enough, you'll be able to find it. Alright, into today's episode. This is a very intriguing person. Uh, with, I believe, in my opinion, some really great wisdom, and I, I think he has an angle on the mental game that very few of us have thought about, have have heard discussed this way. Um, I know I haven't personally talked to someone that has the same background as he has, and uh, I, I just think it was fascinating I think it was a fascinating conversation actually found myself learning a lot during this one like selfishly learning a lot for myself as a player as a coach uh, His name is Kent Osborne uh, if you're in if you're in the golf Twitter scene you've probably heard him uh, or seen his name pop up a time or two um, I'll let him introduce himself as far as his past and what got him here. Uh, but I think you should listen up because there is so much you can learn from this conversation to actually make your game better. Um, so yeah, I'll, uh, I'll let Kent get right into it and we'll get right into the conversation. I uh, hope you enjoy. So you are up in Canada, right? Yep.
1: Yeah, and we're just uh, just getting rid of the snow. You look behind me; you'll see that it's pretty much gone. Hopefully, gone to stay.
0: Yeah, that's so, good news. Uh,
1: yeah. So driving ranges are starting to open, and uh, hopefully, the courses will open in a couple of
0: weeks. So beautiful. Right. So, do you? I'm. I guess let's just start with you. Like your past, what? kind of what got you to where you are now? What, what have you done in your life related to golf? Wow. Um, it's a big question, I'm sure. Big question. Yeah. Well, um, when I was a,
1: a young lad, I, I was, uh, really into sports, uh, really into hockey especially and, uh, wanted to be a, uh, a pro. So I was, uh, I was a pretty decent, um, decent player. Wasn't, uh, wasn't a great player but I was good enough to have some aspirations let's put it that way and uh I got hurt uh really badly when I was 18 uh almost killed with a, I was a goalie and I got hit with a puck in the head it was uh really ugly for a while but managed to recover um and at the same time uh I guess the other major influence for me uh, to be honest with you was uh, growing up in a family with uh, a lot of uh, a lot of addiction issues and a lot of dysfunction so i kind of came out of my family with this uh with this desire to help people uh you know as opposed to uh you know how do you be at your worst i was kind of interested in how do you be at your best so uh you know when hockey was done for me went back to school and uh became a clinical social worker with this whole idea of, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to sit. Coaching wasn't even a thing that coaching was there in sports, but uh, executive coaching or mental game coaching or any of that kind of stuff didn't even exist back then. But I had this intention to, you know, to be able to uh, sit down and talk with people in a way that would be helpful to them. So, uh, and that's, and both of those things kind of came together in a way because um as my uh, career uh, progressed and, and I became uh, became pretty good at doing the counseling uh, psychotherapy thing um, you know I connected up with some of the guys I used to play hockey with and uh, got involved in, uh, in working with uh, some some kids that were playing junior and then um, you know that continued to evolve and uh, I ended up spending a couple of years in the National Hockey League uh, because my uh, my my perspective was then, and probably still is now, that the that the sports psychology piece is kind of the tip of the iceberg. I mean, it's it's all relevant stuff, but but the real deal is the eighty percent underneath the iceberg. Uh, that's what's that's what's you know driving behavior, driving performance, driving guys who you know who have fantastic careers or guys who go off the rails. And so I wanted to have some skill and ability to be able to sit down with someone. And if they, if they threw any kind of dysfunction or addiction or whatever it was at me that I felt that I would be able to help them. So, uh, and then from, uh, from working in the NHL, I got opportunities to, uh, to speak to executive groups and, and, uh, I just started more and more gravitating towards the, uh, you know the new the what was really a new field then, 30 years ago the whole leadership development thing, um, and that's where I spent the majority of my uh, of my uh, work life uh, in the executive development executive coaching field. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's kind of the and I started playing golf um, when I was 50.
0: Mm.
1: So uh, came to came to golf with that with that whole perspective and uh you know couldn't break 120 to start but uh you know uh I've just I'm kind of a down the rabbit hole guy anyway so I went right down the rabbit hole and uh you know I've been able to get a little better at, at the game and uh able to apply um the stuff that I learned along the way mentally to myself in a way that's helped and so now that I'm a retired coach mm-hmm. I've gotten into um, you know sharing my ideas on uh, on Twitter, and I and I wrote a I wrote a book that's available on my website, and you know just the whole idea of hey you know I think I've got a unique perspective because um, I think there's a problem in golf that's kind of unrecognized, and the problem is that the 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 golf mentality is is very much oriented towards the elite player you know and and so to me I see kind of two streams or as you know as Led Zeppelin said in Stairway to Heaven you know two, two paths you can go by and, and I think that if you're on that elite stream if you're if you're an aspiring college player or an aspiring pro or or, or you know or you're on tour some at some level you know I think the way you approach the game needs to be the different than the way a guy like me approaches the game. And I see guys at my club, um, you know, approaching it like, like we're trying to be Rory McIlroy's mini me, you know, and I don't think it works. I mean, at least the evidence that I see would suggest that, uh, you know, a a lot of guys don't seem to have a lot of fun when they're actually playing the game.
0: Um, Right. So, so I do to go back to something you said, about there's the, the tip of the iceberg and then the 80% below it does maybe go into that a little bit more. Like what, what is the tip? And then what is the stuff that you kind of can't see the deeper things? What is that difference? Sure.
1: Ah, uh, well, um, well for golf, for a golfer, the, the, the tip of the iceberg for me would be the you know what you're doing cognitively during a round of golf, and that's kind of the left brain, right brain thing. Uh, so you know what kind of what kind of self talk I'm engaged in, what kind of questions I'm asking myself, uh, and you know on the on the right brain side of it, you know, and what kind of pictures am I making in my head, what kind of intuitive insights am I am I getting, and all that's kind of tip of the iceberg stuff, and that's that's very complex, and it's what the um, it's what most uh, golf psychologists will, will write about mm-hmm. uh, the, the underneath underneath that it, more of the subconscious unconscious thing. I, I think that's where you're, that's where you're looking at your beliefs, uh, your primary emotional patterns, you know, how you filter experience. Uh, and so, um, you know, one of the pro well, one of the challenges would be, um, you know, if you're, If you're feeling, you know, anxious, say, for example, before before a shot or you're in a situation, you're in a big tournament, you're feeling anxious. Well, the the standard practice would be to find some technique that would alleviate that anxiety. You know, mindfulness is a big thing now, uh, you know, so that you can. So, yeah, breathing, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you know what? That's all good but your emotions are being generated from, from a level of mind that's deeper than your cognitions. And so that, that, those emotional patterns are very much connected to your beliefs, very much connected to how you're digging in and giving out information. And so from my perspective, I mean, that would be the, the, the deeper element. So I tend to believe that, that anything that we accomplish or don't accomplish in life is, is aligned with our beliefs. And so if, if uh, I mean, I'm not working with any tour players, but I mean, if I was working with a, with a tour player and then they were coming to me, uh, the f- I would be, tend to be more, uh, more focused on the, uh, on the bottom, bottom part to the top part. But the reason why I think um, the top 20% gets so much attention is because you can't get to the tour, at least from my point of view. I mean, and I'm, I'm generalizing here from my work with other elite sure. level sure. pros, right? So, because I, I wanna say up front, I've not worked with uh, anyone on the PGA or LPGA tour. So, uh, but I have worked with Hall of Fame hockey players before. And you don't, I'm making the assumption that you don't get to the tour without, uh, without the belief and, and the emotional resilience required to get there now you can see guys who are on the tour that can't seem to break through to the higher level they can't win the majors they don't they don't you know perform like they should in the big moments but to get there you're not going to be emotionally weak and you're not going to have a disempowering belief system and so when you get to the tour with those with that you know 80 percent pretty well intact then you are going to be looking for these little cognitive nuances that are going to give you the razor's edge. You know, how can I make better pictures in my head? Should I make those pictures? In a, in a, in a, you know, should I move myself far away? Should I be in them and reliving them? Should I change the colors? Should I change the patterns? All those little distinctions that a, that a mental coach is going to help you with are going to be big time for a guy who's on tour, I would think. But when, you, when you're a, you know, a 10 handicap. And you're reading the latest sports psychology book, and they're telling you to, you know, to do a better job in the think box. Well, there's a cha- there's a there's a fundamental problem with that from my point of view because if if I'm you know if I'm 170 yards out and I visualize a perfect trajectory and, and a perfect shot, you know, I'm a relatively low handicap, and I mean, I'm going to hit that green maybe. What forty percent of the time, fifty percent of the time, so sixty percent of the time, I'm putting a picture in my head that I can't execute on. Hmm. What does that do to my belief? Right. What does that do to my ability to trust my swing? Hmm. So I'm not saying that the that the that the uh, that the top of the pyramid tools are wrong. I think they're absolutely bang on for tour players. I'm just not convinced that they are the way to go for your for your average Joe and James.
0: Yeah. That's very interesting. It's, it's like, it's the, the run of the mill sports psychology, mental coaching is attacking maybe more symptoms and, and less so causes. Is it kind of that, uh, difference?
1: I would say that's true. And I, and I would also say that it, it depends on, on who you're working with. I mean, if, uh, but again, you see it. I mean, from my point of view, um, I don't know if you watched uh, the the players there a couple of weeks ago. I mean, look, I don't know Lee Westwood. I know he works with a psychologist. He seems like a wonderful man, but, but it'd be, you'd be hard pressed to look at his last round on Sunday and say that there wasn't some kind of a belief that kicked in that because the, I mean, he was hitting some shots there that I would go that if I hit them, I'd go, whoa, you know, can't, you're not having a very good day here. I mean, you just, so to my mind, you know, the, the bottom of the iceberg is relative to at every level. But, you know, the more you get into the higher levels, the, the, the less and less you're going to have to have to work with that, I think.
0: Right. So is this the kind of general theme of your book? And what is your book called?
1: Well, uh, I've got a book available. I've got a worst selling book available now on my website. Oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Play Like Ray. Okay, and it's basically it's a brief little story, and it's it's really dealing with the uh, with the primary thing that I noticed um, when I first started playing golf, which was which was the amount of frustration that that average golfer's experienced. And so, excuse me, it's a simple little read, and it's based on the idea that this average golfer named Bob, who's frustrated with himself and beats himself up and is down on himself. He gets to play around the golf with this guy Ray. And Ray is kind of a poster poster boy for he got a great attitude. He plays well, uh, you know, if he hits a great shot, he really enjoys it. If he hits a bad shot, he lets it go. And easy to say, but what I see with with a lot of golfers is that they they do the opposite. They put a lot of emotional energy into bad shots. And typically uh, Typically, with a, when I say a good player, so let's say a guy who's a competent club level player. Typically, if, if we were in a foursome with, with uh, average guys, and, and this guy got up and he absolutely pounded one right up the middle like 250, 260, 270, a really good poke for an older guy and an average player like myself. So he bangs one out there, and the boys all say, Oh, great drive, man. The response is typically flatlined. Thanks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, there's no, I'm not saying he should go like Ali and Poulter and start to stump on the chest, but it's like <laughs> a flat line response. But if that same guy chunks a chip or whatever, I mean, the whole, the whole body language, even if he does, doesn't say anything out loud, the whole body language is like a lot of emotional energy. So this book is really about flipping it around. It's about basically saying, look, you know, you're, we're there for recreation we're there to enjoy those best moments. So let's, let's focus on that.
0: Right. So, and then onto the theme of your kind of tip of the iceberg, deeper level, it, it sounds like kind of, if you were teaching a uh, top pro in that situation to react better to shots, it sounds like, okay, you hit a bad shot, you slump your shoulders, let's work on how you react to bad shots. And that is way better than nothing for every golfer, right? But it sounds like what you're hoping to do with most golfers is, okay, that top, uh, how you react to shots is important, but in order to react properly to shots, it sounds like you need to work on your deeper belief system, your deeper subconscious. Is, is that kind of it?
1: Yeah, well, I'd also put a little, little again, with, with, uh, on the steam of it's a, if it's a, it's a different path for them. Like if I was working with John Rom, for example, mm. trying to think of a guy who obviously gets ticked off when he hits, when he hits a bad shot. I wouldn't necessarily be getting him to, to stop that. I would be getting him to, f- to, to channel that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would be concerned that he could car- compartmentalize it, but some guys like, I mean, there are some guys who, who um, it's really important for them to play with a bit of a chip, either a, some kind of a manufactured chip on the shoulder. And so, you know, like to go back to Westwood, for example, you know, he was, He was being interviewed before and after the final round and he's talking about like, hey, you know what, I'm just there to enjoy myself and, you know, whatever happens, happens. Well, for me, that's that's great for me. But I don't know if that's if that's something I'd want to be really, you know, like I said, and, you know. With 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 a guy like Rom, I don't know if I want them to change that level of anger or frustration. I would just want them potentially to to channel it. Now now if he couldn't compartmentalize it, if he couldn't allow it to happen f- for a few seconds and then allow that to fuel his focus for the next shot, then absolutely you'd want to change it. Right. But I'm you know. Two different paths, but for the average person, absolutely. In, in my opinion, what uh, you, you want to be, we, we want it, I want to be spontaneous and natural on the golf course. I, I don't want to subs- I, I see guys who get into the mental game and, and from my point of view, what they do is they they, they substitute swing mechanics for mental mechanics. They kind of go okay. Now I'm I'm no longer going to be totally focused on on whether I'm pronating or supinating at the top of my swing, or whatever. But now I'm going to I'm into I'm locked into this whole. I got to do this routine thing right. Mm-hmm. You know I got to take so many steps and so many breaths, and I got to picture this, and I have got to do this, and so many seconds at mm-hmm. address, and
0: just as technical, right?
1: Yeah, and and to my mind, it's like, hey. Uh, i'm paying for recreation there is absolutely no chance in this lifetime that i will make a living or leave a legacy in this game Mm -hmm. so and again it goes back to my when i when i started uh, so i'm playing on this softball team the recreational softball team back when i was 50 years old we we were brutal and we were so bad, as a matter of fact, that after the game, we give a trophy out after every game. We would we, we would get together, uh, you know, we'd have a beer and, around one of the trucks, and and we'd give a trophy out that was an artificial leg with a baseball cleat on the bottom of it. And it was given to the guy who made the worst error last week, had to give it to the guy who made the worst error this week. And, and there was never a problem giving it out. The, the, the challenge was, who do I give it to?
0: Everybody. Everybody, yeah.
1: <laughs> But basically I started golfing with those guys mm. and you get the same guys on the golf course and they're like getting bent out of shape about missing shots that you could see that you could see that they were anxious before an important swing. Um, so there's something about the golf, the golf culture. And, and when I started playing golf, if I was, you know, after a year or so, if, if I was having a beer with those guys and I said, you know, boys, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to take, you know, spend a grand and get some lessons and see if I, everybody that I the, around the table probably would have said, yeah, you know, I should probably do the same thing. But if I had, I went to the ball diamond and said, you know what, Jeez, my, my batting average is down lately, boys. I think I'm going to see if I can get a, you know, get one of them time with a professional batting coach. And they look at me like, are you nuts, man? Like,
0: like, what is it about
1: golf? I mean, you're like, what is it about golf that, that, that makes us recreational guys act as if we're we should be pros i mean it's it's to me it's temporary insanity but
0: (laughs) that is that is very i've never heard that comparison no one even like a church basketball league no one is getting basketball lessons i I don't even know i'm sure basketball lessons exist and batting lessons exist but no one it's something about golf i don't know what that is yeah yeah yeah, That's very interesting.
1: I was, I was as close to, to to Yankee Stadium as I am now to playing at Augusta in a couple of weeks. I mean,
0: <laughs> <laughs> very far. <laughs> yeah, very far. <laughs> yeah, and everybody. So that's that's interesting. So, I, how do you? Which gets me? Can I interrupt? Go this ahead, gets no, me please. Into a
1: coaching thing because I know you're interested. in Coaching is kind of my thing. You know, you're interested in, in it. So, and that's where I think, uh, from what I see, there's been a bit of a move in the last few years that, you know, swing instructors are starting to call themselves coaches. And I don't think you can call yourself a coach just because you're a good guy and you're enthusiastic and you give lots of positive feedback. That, to me, that doesn't make you a coach. To me, there's two aspects of coaching. Two kind of energies, almost like a yin-yang. And one is, yes, I have to have the ability to impart instruction, give advice, and give direction and give feedback. But the other part, the, the heart of coaching from my point of view, is I've got to have the ability to, to help you find your insights, to, you know, to help you explore, to, to draw for, to draw your answers. And, and what I don't see. I mean, I saw one guy on uh, on uh, on YouTube recently talking about Cross Crossfield. Is it the English guy?
0: Yeah, 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 Mark. Mark, Mark
1: Mark Crossfield. Yeah, he was talking about. and It is the first guy that I've talked about. I've heard about it. I've heard saying it. The the idea that like having guys explore possibilities, like having them, you know, saying to them, "Look, you know, there's there's different." There's different setup templates you can use. Like, let's explore for you. What happens when you when you close your setup? What happens when you're when you're when you're when you're when you're parallel? What happens when you're open? You know, like, and I'm look, I'm not a swing guy, so I can't say that that's the way you should do it. But I but I know enough about coaching to say that there's not enough of a self exploration creativity piece to it. I see guys taking lessons at my club and they're all doing the same thing. You know, it's like, how do I move? How do I move in the way that you tell me to move? Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to how do I explore my own body and, and yes, get some advice and get some direction from you, but how do I, how do I find my own insights and how do I have those aha moments for me? Mm. And, and I think when, when golf starts to do more of that, they can legitimately say we're moving into more of a coaching
0: right more of a guide rather than a lecturer right yeah okay yeah so how to get kind of rubber meets the road a little bit how like let's say you've got a 10 handicapper who is mad at bad shots happy at good ones like if you had a if he's mad
1: at bad ones he won't be happy with good ones i'll guarantee
0: you okay Oh, he'll be flatlined. He'll be flatlined. Right. Okay. So let's say that's the scenario and, and they come to you and they say, Kent, how, like help me get better. I'm tired of, I, you know, I guess I'm tired of being mad. I'm tired of being, uh, I feel like my, usually this is how it goes for me. When people approach me, my mental game is just terrible. And obviously, I have to explore that a little because that to sure, go sure. in any direction. But let's say they come to you, where do you, where would you start, and then what would you try to help them with?
1: Well, if they came to me with that with that specific question, I'd have a conversation with them about why they were they were on the golf course. And when I say why, what I would do is I would help them understand that that. I would help them take it deeper. Mm. So I would literally get them. I'd say, hey, you know, like, close your eyes. Tell me, you know, why are you on the golf course? Well, the first thing they'd say is, I'm there to have fun, or I'm there to be there with my friends. Okay, so if you have fun, or you're having, friend, you're having a good time with your friends, is there anything else, is there anything deeper? Is there anything more meaningful, more important? And they would typically keep dropping it down if I was, you know, spending a few, uh, 10 or 15 minutes with them they they typically drop it down to the point where they would say something like i just love how it feels when i when i hit it good
0: hmm.
1: and when they would get to that point the the distinction in my in my approach or my work would probably be that i would help them understand that that that, that feeling is the most important part of their mental game the, the, the mental fundamental for, for us club-level players isn't mental at all. It's emotional, mm-hmm. at least from my point of view. Mm-hmm. So I would be strongly recommending to them that they would tap into that feeling as much as possible. Not make it an event. Not make it a... Because what, what, what happens with... Typically what happens because of the, because of the cognitive orientation... That, that most sports psychology and sports psychology coaches have. The orientation would be to have a guy read a book or come to a conclusion about why, why I play as an event, as a kind of like aha moment. Like, okay, now I know I'm on the golf course because I really love, love the feeling of hitting good shots. But they haven't connected with the feeling. They've mentally realized it or mentally had that insight and my approach would be okay let's emotionally connect with that and it's actually two things it's a feel physical and a feeling emotional and i would have them connect with that feel and feeling and i would say to them look for the next nine rounds every time before you play I want you to take five minutes, close your eyes and connect with that feeling. I don't want you to be visualizing great shots. I don't want you to be thinking about I'm gonna shoot 82 or 72 or whatever. I just want you to connect with that feeling, that feel and that feeling that's at at the heart of why you're on the golf course. And what that will do, I mean that that and other things, what that will do is begin is begin to shift their natural orientation. Wow! And they'll and you'll and they'll find themselves naturally shooting on themselves a bit less.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. And okay. then we
1: can get in. And then we you know we would do more than that, obviously. But that would For be sure. there. That would be the heart of what I would do. Mm. My, my approach, again, be, because it's below the, I'm, I'm not into what they're thinking mm. as much as I'm into what they're feeling. Mm. And I want to train their emotions to, to resonate, if you want to call it that, with what they want as opposed to what they don't want. They've already got it mentally. I can't imagine walking into my clubhouse and sitting down, let's say I was sitting down with a, with, 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 a, with a two handicap, an eight handicap, a 12, an 18, kind of the, the gamut of it. And if I said to them, boys, what's most important about the mental game from your point of view? I guarantee you within five minutes, and I had a flip chart and I was writing this stuff down. I guarantee you within five minutes, I'd have, well, you've got to accept your mishits and move on. Uh, you've got to focus on your targets and be less oriented to your trouble. You've got to take one shot at a time. You've got to be in the moment. You've got to be all the stuff we hear a thousand times. They all know it. <laughs> yeah. So the answer is the, the change or the shift doesn't come from acquiring new information or new knowledge. It comes from shifting your emotions and or shifting your beliefs. And, and I wouldn't necessarily go to a belief level with a, with a recreational player. I I might go to a belief level with the pro, but I wouldn't do it with a recreational player.
0: What's an example. Well, yeah, that's a, that's an amazing, like, let's start from ground level and let's get you instead of, Oh, you get mad. Let's help you not get mad. Let's, let's attack why you're there or let's address why you're there. And let's, you need to remind yourself why you're there and then live in that feel and live in that feeling,
1: live in that feeling, right. live in that feel. I mean, we're, I think we're on the, I mean, to, to me, golf is, is, is mental. It's physical, it's emotional and it's spiritual. Hmm. And to me, that's the, that's the spiritual part of it. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I, I want to resonate with that love of play. Mm. I mean that that's why I'm there.
0: What do you think that yeah? Well, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you you go, please. Okay. So what do you think that that five minute sort of meditation?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What do you think that manifests itself as on the golf course? What is like do you think it could over a period of time or instantly would you be able to see a difference in demeanor in someone?
1: I've seen it both. Uh, f- for, I've seen it make a, I've had, there was a guy at my club last year who, who came to me and asked for some input. So we had a couple of, and he read play like Ray, the book, <laughs> and we had a conversation and one of his buddies came up to me at, a day or two later and he said, Hey man, I don't know what you did with this guy, but it's night and day. Hmm. so for some guys it can be it can be somewhat of an epiphany Hmm. Uh, but for me I I believe it's more of a I believe it's more of an ongoing or almost like a discipline thing yeah there's there's a bit of an epiphany to it but I like to think of it as a a, as a discipline so uh, I don't I don't set goals I mean I've done I've done very well. I think, I mean, guys tell me that it's to start at 50 and then get to scratch and get to, you know, be a club champ and all that kind of stuff is fairly rare, yeah. but uh, I don't, I, I don't set goals. Um, you know, I just, I just do the process that I'm writing about now or that I try mm-hmm. to tweet about. Mm-hmm. and And that's, that's mostly based on the idea that what's, You know, what's below the iceberg is most important. And I, I want to get on the golf course. I don't want to be in the routines. I don't want to be mental mechanics or physical mechanics. I just want to be spontaneous. I just want to be, I want to have fun. I mean, if I'm, if I got a 12 foot putt, I don't need a routine to tell me that I'm trying to make this putt, you know? So, yeah. I just basically, you know, have a lot, one, one hole and one green, I might take a minute or so. And the next green, I might take two minutes and one green, I might bend that down. And the other one, I might just walk up and, and give it a whack. And mm. the truth of the matter is, you know what, if I started doing, if I started doing a routine like Jason Day and closing my eyes and all that kind of stuff, I mean, maybe I'd shave a stroke off my handicap. Maybe I wouldn't. Right. but it's not going to get me next level. I'm not right. going to be suddenly competing for the, you know, the Canadian amateur right. champions. Right. right.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I, I promised someone that I would ask their question to you. I said, I've, oh, I'm, I'm talking to Kent on, on Monday. So um, this is, I'll just read his whole comment. Uh, I said, any topic in particular you guys would like to hear us discuss, and and he said, practice that will mentally prepare me for confidence on the course. Thoughts, if any, when getting ready to pull the trigger. Been doing a lot of research and just need to figure out how to put everything together for my game. So sounds like, like what you you're read describing. That for me again? Yeah, sure. Uh, so the the crux of it is he wants a practice that will mentally prepare him for confidence on the course thoughts, if any, when getting ready to pull the trigger. So it sounds like over the ball, what is something I can do? And I know this is contrary to what we've been talking about this whole time is like, it's not necessarily about that, but do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'd
1: say there's, there's, uh, two things, um, Practice the first place I went to was, you know, well, what's he doing in his range time or his practice time? But two things I would say. One would be when he's practicing, uh, when he's on the range, if he could, if he could practice in difficult spots as much as possible. You know, put his ball in a divot, mm-hmm. pound it into the ground. You know, never give himself a clean lie. That's one thing. But I think the most important thing, since he mentioned confidence, is that understanding where confidence comes from. Confidence comes from how you manage your memories. Hmm. Confidence doesn't come from how you visualize a shot, what you, you know, how focused you are and what you want to do you know, how you, you know, your routine to pull the trigger, your confidence comes from how you manage your memories. And you can prove that to yourself by just thinking back to a time when, you know, you were playing around a golf and you you had, you know, four or five, you know, eight, 10, 12 footers in a row, and you made them all Mm. Well, you get to the eighth or ninth hole with another 10 footer, you're actually feeling, I'm going to make this, Mm. but do the other way around and you get, you know, you get four, five, six, five, six footers in your row. You've missed them all. Suddenly you're on the next hole you've got another five footer. You're not particularly confident if you're like most people on the planet.
0: Mm.
1: So what you want to do is you want well, the, the, the biggest recommendation I could give him. And again, it's a, it's a practice or a discipline off the golf course is to get himself a journal after every round, write down, your best moments. Your best drive, your best wood off the fairway, your best iron approach, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Six or seven categories. And the key, again, is not just writing them, it's reliving them. It's getting that feeling. It's going right back into that moment, reliving that moment, feeling that feeling again. And again, if you you buy the idea that you're, that your beliefs are built on memories that are that are both most recent and, and or most emotionalized. So you think about it, you've got this guy who is emotionalizing his best memories round after round after round after round. At some point, his subconscious is going to kick in with a belief of, I can make good golf shots. Mm. I don't have to go through a magic formula or get everything just perfect and precise. I can make good shots, golf shots. Mm. And the way to do that with your journal, I believe is, is to, to be disciplined enough to say to yourself, okay, self every 10 rounds or every 12 rounds or every month, I'm going to step back and I'm going to look for patterns and I'm going to see, is there anywhere that I need to improve? Okay. You know what? When I think about the last 10 rounds, you know what? It comes to mind. I, I missed a lot of shots high, right? Well, maybe I need to do something with that, either on my own, or if I've got a coach, instructor, whatever. But what you don't want to do, in my opinion, at a, at a, at a, unless you're at a pro level, what you don't want to do is to dissect every round with a fine tooth comb. Mm. Because, I mean, I could go off, I I could hit go out there now and hit a tee shot that goes God knows where, (laughs) get off on some tangent about, oh, my God, I'm I'm this or I'm that, and it might just have been a one-off. So if you can discipline yourself after every round to to really relive your best moments,
0: Mm.
1: and then every 8 or 10 or 12, step back and go, okay, Mm. you know yeah look look for themes look for patterns that's a really wise way to to uh to go and i think i i will not just think i know it will Mm. increase your confidence Mm. it's not going to make you um, it's not going to make you overconfident but it's going to deepen that sense that you can make good golf shots it's not a it doesn't require it doesn't require this alchemical kind of standing over the ball. I've got to get spin every lock in the Rubik's cube.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's deep. It's a, it's a deeper acknowledgement of what feeling do I love about golf and living in that more often than you probably do now. And it, it manifests itself in confidence. It, it kind of rewires your subconscious to think and to only remember the good things. Right. Is that generally? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what uh, I remember. Uh, I, again, it's not fair to compare uh, the top players in the world to, to us average guys, but I remember Fred couples basically saying that he has a tendency, if he's in a situation to, if he's got a seven iron in his hand, he, if he tends to think of anything at all, he thinks of the best shot he's hit with a seven on
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good practice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's, it's that f- I want that feeling to come naturally because my, from my point of view, you can't manufacture the feeling on the golf course. If I'm not feeling confident, I can't manufacture it. No tick, no tip, no track technique. No routine is going to give it to me right. in the same way that if you're feeling anxious or nervous, um, you know, no little mental trick is going to, is going to switch that around for you, at least in my experience. Mm-hmm. So what you want to do is you want to, if, if, the, if you're serious enough to ask the question to be asked, then you're serious enough to spend some, spend some time off the golf course. The most important thing you can do is spend five minutes before around and five minutes after around. Five minutes before a round, focused on what you really love about this game and why you're going to be there, and five minutes after a round, remembering your best shots. I, I will basically guarantee you that you will your that you your enjoyment will go significantly higher, and your handicap will, in all likelihood, go lower if you just do those two things hmm. and stay away from the, you know. Uh, st- And again, my perspective, stay away from the mental stuff until you've got the emotional and belief stuff in place. You got that stuff in place and you want to do some nuances on your pre-shot routine about how you're specifically wired versus this guy and whether you should be focusing on feel or what you're listening to or what you're seeing. I mean, absolutely. But if you're doing that without the emotional alignment and without the belief, you know you're Just putting, putting band-aids on yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 that's right that's and maybe right. that's true at every level of golf i don't know like i say, i haven't worked with anybody on the tour but mm. uh, it's certainly true for uh, for guys at our level especially and and good players I i'm not talking guys who you know can't break a hundred i'm talking guys that can go out there and shoot around a par i mean right. we fall into that trap of uh, you know trying to do it the way the pros do it
0: right yeah, and we see we see them putting band-aids on things, but that's because they've already, like you were saying, they've already got to that level. If they're at that level where they are, they've already a- achieved or acquired that emotional alignment. Mostly, well, I,
1: I believe that you're a you're an ex college player. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Well, so you're one hell of a golfer. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. Right, Relatively. And you also know there's a significant gap between you and the guys that, that played on the tour this weekend.
0: Mm-hmm. Right?
1: And so you, I mean, if I was to say to you that somebody that you know, who is, I'm sure, you know, 20 guys, maybe even yourself that can get on the range at, at a tour event and wouldn't look at a place. Mm-hmm. But to, to suggest that one of those players on tour is is emotionally weak or, or, or doesn't believe in themselves. I mean, it's mm. just not possible. All right. All right. Now, maybe they don't, maybe he or she doesn't believe she's good enough to win a major and you see that. Right. But, but they've got the, that bottom up, that bottom 80%. They've mm. got that pretty solid or they just would not be able to be there. But the, the competition is too fierce at the top.
0: Right. Okay. Well, this has been awesome. Um, I, I really appreciate your time. Where, where could people, I guess, I mean, I know where people could find you, but um, where could people find you and get more from you?
1: Okay. Well, um, they could uh, follow me on Twitter at, um,
0: at Scratch Attitude.
1: And uh, I'm also just starting to do some stuff on Instagram and thinking about maybe going modern. I'm doing, doing the odd little video on Instagram. So I'm on there too at Scratch Attitude. And, um, you know, my, my website, scratchattitude.com. I do have a, a book on there now called play like Ray. And I'm in the process of, uh, hopefully uh, completing another one in the next month or two.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I wanted to ask you about that one, but I picked up that you were not done with it, but I would love to talk with you once it's done. That'd be awesome.
1: Yeah cool that would be that would be my pleasure really nice to uh really nice to talk with you and meet you and uh, and I I also admire I I've, I've listened to some of your podcasts and, oh. and I admire your energy and your approach and what you're trying to do so you know uh, I'm uh, I'm uh, honored to be uh to be
0: on here so thank you Well thank you Ken this has been great. Okay thanks Jeff. All right we'll see you All right, everybody, hope you were taking notes because that had a lot of meat in it. Meat notes. Yeah, those are mixed metaphors. Anyway, I'll drop a link to Kent's Twitter at Scratch Attitude and his website, scratchattitude.com, in the show notes. I was clicking around his website. Um, he's got his ebook there. Uh, he's got kind of a bio on himself. It's a simple site, but um, yeah, it's just kind of his hub for his ebook and. I'm assuming his future book that he's writing that he'll be finishing this year. Uh, give him a follow on Twitter. He's always tweeting some great insights. Um, he he kind of uh, quote tweets other really good insights about the game, about the mental game, and adds his own two cents. He's, it's just a really good value add to your Twitter timeline. Um, yeah, so give him a follow. Uh, if for nothing else, to support him and to uh, check out his book when it comes out. And I'll badger you, again, join the Mental Golf Show Facebook group. I don't, I mean, I don't really get anything out of it. Like, I don't I don't make money off of it. I just, I think it's just a great place to have a conversation, to get access to myself. Uh, you can't access me by listening to my podcast, but if you would like to, That is a great place to do it. And you'll also get access to the brilliant, dedicated, beautiful, handsome listeners to the mental golf show. All right. I will see you over there.